What learnings can we take from filmmaking into the audio space? Hi there, this is Gigi Hawkins, writer, director, and host of the No Film School podcast. And today we've got a roundtable conversation featuring a stacked group of creators, two Emmy winners, a creator of a scripted and talk podcast, a head writer for an animated show, quite an accomplished group talking about the overlapping worlds of audio and film. We'll unpack character and world building. We'll talk about the benefits of budgets and the most common mistakes and misconceptions folks make when entering the podcast space, especially from writing for the screen. But before we dig in, I want to explain why I felt a filmmaking podcast needs to unpack podcasts. We're going to get a little meta here. Last week, a podcast called You Feeling This premiered, a production of Overtones Media and iHeart. The series screened at Tribeca. Another time we'll talk about what a podcast screening looks like. And I had the pleasure of writing and directing an episode of the show. The podcast, a fiction anthology series and love letter to LA, is the brainchild of James Kim. James is like the link leader of podcasting. He had one of the first indie podcast hits a few years back, a show called Moonface. If podcasting had Sundance, it would have been a Sundance darling. The New York Times called it a touching, elegantly soundtracked coming-of-age drama that explores just how much can be lost in translation between two people. Anyway, I've been a big fan of James for years, and in the years following Moonface, James continued to explore storytelling in audio and, feeling lonely in the scripted audio space, reached out to fellow audiophiles and filmmakers to create a new show, You Feel in This. It was a community passion project that turned into a paycheck when iHeart became attached. But what I love about this project is that James didn't wait for permission. He created a place for folks to come together. And he designed the show in a way that's a lot like making an indie film because we were recording on location using binaural audio. Binaural audio uses a method of recording that reproduces the way humans naturally experience sound. So working on the project, we thought through the placement of the mics, not unlike how we think through the placement of our cameras. On set, I worked with actors Sarah Yarkin and Madison Lanasey to block an episode-long scene, which, from a writing, directing, and storytelling perspective, really stretched me. We had to trust that the listener would be okay not having their hand held and that they would be able to fill in blanks. And that trust with your audience, whether you're creating a podcast or something for the screen, TV, film, short film, it's critical. And it really pushed me to become a better screenwriter working on this podcast. So that got me thinking, what else can we learn from audio and take into filmmaking and vice versa? Hence today's roundtable. Now, let me introduce the folks who are participating. First, we have Andrew Barbot. Andrew is an Emmy-winning writer and performer from San Diego, and he has written on The Last OG for TBS, Playing House for USA, and Hulu's reboot of Animaniacs. His work there included co-writing the song Suffragette City, which would go on to win the 2021 Daytime Emmy for Outstanding Original Song, and he recently stepped into podcasting, and we'll hear more about that in the conversation in a moment. Next up, Joanna Hausman. Joanna is a Venezuelan actress, comedian, and television writer. And in addition to writing for scripted podcasts and co-hosting her own podcast, Hyphenated, Joanna gained popularity through her YouTube series, Joanna Rants. You may also have seen her as a correspondent on Netflix's series, Bill Nye Saves the World. She is currently the head writer for Hamster and Gretel, the animated show. And finally, we have Marcus Bagala. Marcus is an Emmy Award-winning New York City-based composer. His work spans film, TV, including The Affair and Ray Donovan, podcasts, radio, theater, including This American Life, The Daily, PBS, and Amazon Video. Recently, Marcus provided sound design and additional music for Gimlet and Monkey Paws podcast, Quiet Part Loud, starring Tracy Lutz. If you haven't listened to that scripted podcast, it is a sound trip. 
Marcus is currently the music supervisor, in-house composer, and a producer for Realm. And as a producer, he does a lot of development work. So he is coming from the perspective of somebody who could potentially be green lighting your scripted audio projects. So let's dig into this podcast about podcasts. Okay, welcome to the No Film School podcast. Thank you all for being here. It's excited to be, to be here. here. <laughs> Thanks for tech, having us. Tech issues aside, we're excited to be here. <laughs> we're here talking about podcasts and and screen and sort of the crossover in that space. And to our listeners, like whenever we're recording the podcast, it's like we're talking heads on a news station. And so sometimes like we'll sit and nod to each other, but you're not seeing that, which is always a good thing. Thing that I need to remind myself, but I'm here with our three guests and let's start just by putting voices to names. So we'll start with you, Andrew. Sure. My name is Andrew Barbeau. And I am Joanna Hausman. Remember my voice. <laughs> uh, and I'm Marcus Pagala. Well, thank you again for being here. So we'll start with the beginning What was your gateway into storytelling and what medium did you start in? And when did you cross over into a different medium? We'll start with you again, Andrew. Okay. Yeah. No, great question. I guess my gateway would be, I, we didn't have cable TV growing up. Ironically, I'm a TV writer, but we spent a lot of time, me and my three siblings with a costume box full of costumes sewn by my mother. She's a, she's a seamstress. So I think like just, in general, a lot of play as a child and also out of a lot of boredom. But yeah, that was sort of like my formative things. And then when I got, you know, into high school, I did theater and then immediately stopped doing it in college because I was afraid. Sort of found my way back into it, though. And after I worked a normal job for a few years and moved up to L.A. and started working as an assistant on a TV show called Best Friends Forever on NBC, R.I.P., but it was, yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. And it also, you know, it really, it really was my first experience writing like that, you know, and, and I was an assistant, I should say, but it was my first real experience of storytelling like that in a real professional way. And at the same time I was doing like groundlings and CB and sort of performing and, and finding my, my feet that way. But, but yeah, so sort of TV was my, my way into, into writing. And since then, I've had some opportunities to work on films and and podcasts now and audio. So that's that's that comprehensive. And and yeah. what do you do now in podcasting? Well, the last show I worked on was for Wondery. It was called "This Job Is History," and so it was sort of taking jobs that don't exist anymore, like milkmen, barber surgeons. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> and we it was fun. So we would have a host interview characters sort of like you know, you know like when you have people who pretend they're benjamin franklin right and it, yeah so it's, it's sort of like that but but characters that we could kind of sort of create a whole cloth you learn about jobs wonder's cool because they do a very like immersive they want to do very immersive act like act two was very immersive so you got to be like sort of like a day in the life of like a high stakes moment in this character's life and it was always by chris parnell so there's a lot of comedy and sort of fun stuff like that but yeah, so that was sort of my first foray into audio. How about you, Joanna? Wow. We have to go all the way back to 1994. I'm not going to go all the way back to 1994. I always loved performing and writing. I moved around a lot as a kid. I'm originally from Venezuela, but I wouldn't spend longer than two years at any school. So comedy became sort of my defense mechanism <laughs> and my way of making friends, sometimes successfully. So I, when I started college, I, I knew I wanted to get into writing. I didn't understand what that meant. Specifically, also, I think coming from like an immigrant background, like I didn't understand what stand-up versus improv versus sketch was. I was like, I just want to do, I guess, funny. Like I didn't know. So during college, I started learning the sort of differentiation bet- within the entertainment industry and what exactly I wanted to do. I thought it was theater, but then I was like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I want to be a comedian. That's what I want to do. So I went to Second City right after college and did this program called Comedy Studies, where it was like an immersive comedy program. It was improv, it was stand up, it was sketch, it was all of these things sort of 
full time. And I'm like, wow, this is exactly what I, what I want to do. And so from there, you know, moved to New York, did Upright Citizens Brigade like Andrew, did stand up and sort of tried. I was an assistant to a couple of producers. It was kind of terrible. And then in around like 2015, I started making content online. I started making videos online specifically about my experience sort of being a multi-hyphenate Venezuelan, American, Jewish, neurotic, allergic to everything. And so creating these videos online sort of it garnered, you know, a lot of views and gave me a lot of opportunities both on screen and also writing for TV. And I've written for a few shows. And right now I'm a head writer of the Disney show Hamstring Gretel. And then my foray into podcasting is I have a, a podcast called Hyphenated. And I started it during the pandemic. And one of the biggest reasons I began the podcast is because during my YouTube days, I felt like I had a very clear conversation with my audience. And then working in TV, I felt that I had lost that. And going back to the podcasting format, it was almost like re-engaging the dialogue with, with my audience. That's wonderful. And you've also dabbled in scripted podcasting, correct? Yes. Oh my God. I totally forgot. It, it, it was so long ago. It was like before the pandemic that it started. So it feels like ages ago, but yes, I also wrote, co-wrote The Princess of South Beach, which was an audio satirical telenovela. It was both in English and in Spanish. It was like 70 episodes. I don't know how I survived. You know what? Maybe I forgot about it because I just like blacked it all out, yeah. uh, but yeah. it was really fun and amazing. <laughs> it's like childbirth. You have to sort of forget it and then and then and then be like get the guts to do it again absolutely absolutely (laughs) got a few of those projects for sure how about you marcus yeah as as andrew and joa joanna have been sort of telling us their stories i'm sitting here thinking like where the hell did it start yeah i think basically like when i was quite young my parents had this video camera that i like was constantly stealing and making my friends like be in like short films. And so like, I, I kind of just like, I've always wanted to like tell stories and I've just like kind of been obsessed with like movies and film and TV for a long time. But then I sort of detoured after a point and decided, I don't actually know why, but I decided that I wanted to be a film composer just randomly. And <laughs> I, I serious, it was just like a, I was like, oh yeah, like I played guitar and I was like, I want to, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was a weird, it was a weird time. I think I was like, I played guitar and then I was like, hey, I could probably write music for film. I should do that. And I, so I applied to go to the Berkeley College of Music to do their film scoring program. And I did that. And while I was there, I also weirdly decided that I wanted to do a dual major in songwriting. And I quickly realized that I was not a very good songwriter, but <laughs> I was like, you know, I was in these classes with all these folks who like wanted to go to Nashville and like do like country writing or, or like really like straight down the middle, like pop writing. And it, it really didn't click for me. And like, I couldn't like figure out the like scale of the storytelling that you do with like a song, right? It's like such a short, mm-hmm. concise thing. And you have to be really, really impactful. And I was like, that was never how I thought about stories. And it really like just, I don't know, I wrote, like I, I could like dig out like demos of the songs I wrote and then you'd be horrified. But Please share. As, Please as share. that was happening, they got like a new faculty member in the songwriting department whose like main thing was musical theater writing. And uh, I just sort of like hooked up with him and <laughs> I started writing musicals, which is a weird thing that I don't think a lot of people know about me. But yeah, I have actually have a degree in musical theater writing. And so like I like I've written a couple of musicals and like that was like sort of my like first like foray into like sort of like professional like storytelling was like learning how to write musicals. But then I graduated from college and I realized that the film scoring degree that I also had was like a much still not very bankable, but like slightly more bankable skill. So I sort of like went back down that road and started writing music for film. And I got an assistantship pretty soon after I graduated with a composer by the name of Marcelo Zarvos. And I worked on a bunch of shows with him. Like I scored like multiple seasons of that show, Ray Donovan with Lee Schreiber and Mm -hmm. like a bunch of other stuff where I was like 
helping him write music. And then I was like coming up with all the weird like synthesizer textures for those shows and then giving them to my boss to write with and stuff. So that was really fun for a while. And then I realized that the like rigors of the like TV writing schedule is like absolutely insane. And like we were a really small shop. It was like me and my boss and like one other guy. And I just, I, I like lasted for like about a year and I was like, I, I don't know, like, I don't want to be like writing other people's like sort of writing for some other composer and like giving all of my creative output to someone else. And then also like, I want to see my wife sometimes. Fair. <laughs> so, I think right? that's you know? fair. Um, yeah. So I, I left that job and I was sort of just in this like spot where I was like, all right, I have all these like TV credits. And I'm trying to figure out what to do. I got a job. I worked on the score for Barbershop 3, I think, which is a, a weird one. And then I got an intro to Ira Glass and This American Life. And from a friend of mine who was like doing podcast stuff, he, he was writing music for them. He also had written music for another podcast called Limetown. And I was like, oh, yeah, like <laughs> maybe I could write music for podcasts. Because like that seems like friendlier and nicer than writing music for you know TV. So I you know got this connection to this American Life, and I sent them a bunch of music, and they're like, "Wow, this is great! This is perfect for what we do. Like, can you write a bunch more for us?" And that just sort of like sent me down this like long, you know, multi-year journey of like sort of being in the podcast space. And like since then, I've had like basically every role you could imagine on a podcast, from composer to writer and everything in between. And yeah, now we're here. (laughs) And now you're working as the music supervisor, correct? And producer at Realm? Exactly. And what does Realm specialize in, remind us? Yeah, Realm is a audio storytelling company. That's the sort of pithy title that we've sort of landed on because podcast is two in a box i feel like i i'm always like audio storytelling yeah i mean i think that is the tricky thing because like we do like so sort of traditionally like we have really been focusing on like fiction storytelling but that as we're sort of like evolving as a company that is that in itself is like a small box like we because there are Mm -hmm. shows that are like coming to us because we're like both a network and we're also producing original content and we also work with other companies to, to produce their shows so like stuff's coming in and like we're not going to be like oh this project sounds amazing but it's not a fiction podcast so we're not going to like do it so like we're sort of like in this process of like opening up our remit and sort of like figuring out more like what is like just doing stuff that we're excited about and that we're into and we hope that like the people who are into like the realm brand will like be into what we're just like trusting our taste <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That transition period feels very accurate to podcasting in general because obviously it's in flux and 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 I've been saying this for years, but the wild wild west and now I'm like this is just outer space and we're figuring it out and we don't know how we're going to get there or where we're going or like which space movie we're in yet, but we're still figuring it out. But all three of you have extensive experience now storytelling in the audio space. And so I'd love to hear what you think the biggest difference is when it comes to creating in audio as opposed to creating for the screen. And feel free to jump in in whatever order now. Mm. Oh, (laughs) where to begin? I mean, budget... (laughs) (laughs) probably the but i i well yeah budget but but it but not as a bad thing necessarily because i do think you have flexibility in audio that that you don't have in in tv and 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 film right because because the budget is lower usually i i feel like it does leave room for 
much more like experimentation niche ways to basically expand into the farthest reaches of what people are, are, are interested in, in a really cool way. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, just like my eyes have been open since I've sort of, you know, been into it because of that. So I don't know. I think that's probably the one thing. And, 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 and as a creator, knowing that, knowing that I can like pitch a show about, I don't know, like, like who designed these, these buildings? And I don't know. <laughs> like that's a bad thing. You know, like you could, you could do a, you can go into those sort of like super topical topics and, and find an audience, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And you can, you can kind of go crazy in the world building as well. You know, with, with, I, I right now actually work in animation and I see a lot of similarities in, in some ways hmm. I work specifically right now for like a superhero animated show. And I think one of the things that has helped me coming also from the background of, of writing this, you know, gargantuan show for podcast is I really love how the limitations that your characters need to express themselves very clearly for the audience. So for example, in a superhero show, supervillains have their monologues and mm-hmm. explain their goal, explain how they're going to get it and explain why they're doing it. And sometimes in, in TV and stuff like, you know, it, it has to be very subtle. There has to be sort of like just a look that happens. And in podcasting, you know, obviously that's very limited. So finding intelligent ways of having your characters say what their goals are, how they're going to do it and what's getting in their way is, is, is really one fun too. It's a challenge because it, it can sound kind of stilted in dialogue, mm-hmm. but for me, it was the greatest practice for then writing for something like an animated show and vice versa. I think they feed into each other. Yeah. I, I think to sort of like building off that, I think one of the lovely amazing things that I is like sort of like kept me sort of coming back specifically to the fiction side of the audio space is the like the, I am not the first person to say this like I think I'm stealing this from someone but like the, the you get to sort of like hijack listeners imaginations you know in a way that like other mediums don't necessarily like when you're sort of seeing more and you're using your eyes which is activating another part of your brain like you don't have to worry about any of that. So it's more about like inference and like how you can kind of evoke something for someone. And like, I don't know, like it's probably not what I'm imagining when I'm like putting this thing together, but like, hopefully it does something for them that like is impactful. And in some ways, like, I feel like it can be, or I hope so. I don't know. This is a whole other conversation about like how, like the heights that podcasts have gotten to at this point and like what the actual sort of like potential is. And like, sometimes I'm wondering, like, I don't know, like, Maybe we haven't figured it out yet fully, but the, I, the, the sort of like golden thing that I'm always chasing is like, can we do something that just like really like clicks for someone in a way that just creates this like amazing world that like we're almost like creating collaboratively with listeners, you know? And I think that's really, I don't know. I just, I haven't encountered that anywhere else. And I think it's a really cool thing. Yeah. I think, yeah. Playing with sound is like something we get to do a lot more in, in audio. You have to, but it's also, it's a, it's a fun because, you know, obviously TV and film are visual mediums were trained <laughs> to only think that way. I think a lot of times and, and being able to sort of flip that into a sound and like you were saying, Mark, it's like using it to like key imagination, you know, I mean, like I think about how much, you know, how many scenes, especially like, I'll hear like something my kids are watching that's animated. There won't be anybody talking for so long. It's all sound design. And then the writer usually don't get to be a part of that, you know, process. So it's cool, I think, in audio to be able to. Jumping in on what you just said, Andrew, audio, you know, coming from an actor's perspective, but also a director's perspective, you know, I remember for the recordings of of both the podcast and the show now that I'm on, I would look at the camera. I, w- I would look at on the screen or I would look in the recording booth. To, I would look at the actor perform and I'd be like, wow, they did a really great job. And then I'd listen back and I'd be like, wait, that doesn't convey at all what I needed to convey. <laughs> yes. It ne- the, the performance needs to be so almost like hyper saturated is like, I think the equivalent from what like working with Photoshop to like 
performing for audio is like, how can you saturate every word in line so that it, it, it transmits what you need it to, to transmit and casting for us really important to cast people that can understand that they can't rely on, on how they look, but how they sound. And so really, you know, for me, it was a learning process to literally close my eyes during, during when I was directing and I, I literally close it and just try not to have anything in my way while I'm, while I'm sort of directing my way through a scene. And that's, I think one of the, one of my biggest pitfalls for, for the beginning of like my career and just sound, it was like, I just had to remove myself completely from the visual, which was really Mm -hmm. challenging. You bring up such a, I think one of the most important and not hit upon hard enough points in scripted podcasting in particular, because we've seen this industry trend to cast big name talent. But I definitely think that you, if you're, if you have the gravitas for the camera, it doesn't mean you have the gravitas for a voice. And there's a, you know, podcast about a big superhero that was very big last year. And there's only one actor in it who, you know, and you can figure out if what that show is by doing just a little research. But there's only one actor in it who I feel like has a voice for audio. And of course, a face for, you know, for screen as well. But like, it really takes me out of it when that connection isn't made. And I feel like that's kind of where the industry will be evolving. I I genuinely believe we have yet to hear the best, you know, the best scripted podcast yet. Like, I, I think it took filmmakers, you know, decades to make the first great film. There's a lot of figuring out. There was like the camera was watching a stage and they're just running around a stage like because they're transmitting that from theater. And so I think we're kind of in this interesting transition time. So I'm very excited to see where it goes. Can Um, I add one more thing to what you just said, Gigi? Because it's really interesting. You say that because the first scripted podcast I worked on was a telenovela, right? And I think that made things easier because Mm. telenovelas are inherently and naturally a very, you know, bombastic, exaggerated performance. And I would notice that when the actors came in at the beginning and I think there was a struggle with the director to really get them to get to that level of, and then the moment we referenced, remember it's a telenovela, it would just clarify everything for them Mm. and and the performance would come out. But, you know, more grounded performances are more challenging because you don't have that, you know, shorthand to say, you know, can you just make it more? And the, in the, in the recording booth, we always say faster, faster, funnier. It's like, okay, but that's not, that tends not to be a good direction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, that is like the, the, the beauty of like good audio writing though, is sort of like hacking the, like the things that you're making to like, actually lend themselves to actors performances and like how they would naturally feel like I I know like it's super cliche at this point but like the like homecoming was like such a smart thing because Eli had Mm -hmm. like people talking on the phone and it's like such a natural like thing that everyone does well actually I feel like a lot of people don't do talk on the phone anymore but (laughs) like regardless, this is a natural (laughs) thing that people have like actors and whoever else are are just used to doing and and can like fall into that cadence in a very natural way and it's David Schwimmer talking on the phone for all of the homecoming (laughs) podcasts like that was so sonically satisfying and such a specific character true to that world yeah and and I but I do think that like at least for me like when I because I, I try so hard to like listen to a lot of stuff and like frequently I'm, I just, I like have to turn it off because it's like not like, I think people sometimes were creating audio and I'm, I like, I don't want to talk about the DC stuff because like I work with those people too much, but like, I do think like sometimes there's, there's a desire to like recreate the experience of seeing like a film or a TV show. And that is always, I think it's, a, it's problematic because you're if if you're trying to do that you're not trying to create like a an experience that actually feels good in audio you're trying to it's like an imitation of of something and it's never going to be as good as like mm-hmm. you know <laughs> batman is never going to be as cool you know in audio as when he's on screen unless you really think about like 
a story that makes sense for Batman where you can only hear it, you know? And, right, right. So know. this is a segue into char- creating character for audio. And Andrew, on your show, you are creating characters for these specific no longer ex- extinct jobs. And, <laughs> and you have to get the listener on board with who they are very quickly which is very hard to do without, you know, you can't Coen Brothers it. You can't just cast somebody who immediately you're like, I know that guy and I'm here for that guy. So how, how do you sort of approach introducing characters in audio? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I mean, I think this is, I think that's one area where it overlaps significantly with the other storytelling. I mean, like, who is this character? What do they want? Why, why am I like on board with them or why are they interesting? You know? And I think for us, I mean, we have this sort of inherent hook of like, okay, there's this thing that used to, there's this job that used to exist and like, who was the type of person that would have done that, you know? And so I think that already in the minds of our audience, I think they're already like, oh yeah, like I know about this thing or I've kept some vague memory of it. So I think we're sort of, we have a little built-in hook there. And then it's really just about I think totally on this show, at least, it's really just about finding sort of maybe a broader, sort of broader sensibility to to hook people in. And then we always start subvert it. So like I did, I wrote the Milkman episode because my, my grandfather was a, was a milkman in Argentina, mm-hmm. actually, in the 50s when they were still doing milk like they did here in the 1870s. So it was very, very like run and gun and like, my dad was telling me some stories about it. And I was like, talking about how my grandpa would like, still like dilute the milk and like all of these crazy things that milkmen used to actually do to like stretch out their supply or whatever. And after a while, I was like, dad, it sounds like he, like she was like in the milkman mafia. And I was like, like they would like do all these sort of things to like force out competitors. And I was like, it was sort of eye-opening, but anyway, so when I pitched that, we sort of ran with that idea and, and mm-hmm. was sort of able to tap those tropes on things, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it's really just, for me, when I'm creating a character, if I can hear the voice in my head, that always helps, but I don't always hear the voice in my head. So really then it just comes down to like, okay, who, like, what do they want? Who, who is this person? And we'll go from there. Do you, in this opening up to everyone, do you guys have a filter or like a gut check for avoiding exposition in audio? Because <laughs> so I, this is like oh the trope God. in my head for scripted, insert scripted podcast, but none in particular. It's like, I am going to start recording this for my records. And here I am. I'm, I'm just going to walk up these stairs, you know, and, and this feels like podcasting, you know, first the thing the equivalent of when somebody makes their first short film and it's like the alarm goes off in the morning and somebody gets out of bed and hits the alarm and then goes about their morning and drinks their coffee which like i also wrote that short film so i can (laughs) i can admit to that i I mean i think one like really good trick is like just i always like i'm actually i'm giving notes on a script right now so i feel like i've been thinking about this a lot but like Anything that, like, there's so many things that I think people who are, like, maybe, like, writing for audio for the first time or, like, the first couple times that they don't, like, they don't realize can just be accomplished with sound design. Like, sound designers are are, are amazing. I mean, I, I'm also a sound designer, so I would say that. But, like, I, do, I do think th- there's, there's a lot of sound design that, or, like, that can tell the story as much as somebody narrating. And, like, yeah, like you don't have to narrate walking upstairs because everybody knows what stairs sound like, right? Everyone knows what like the little beep of recording, you know, sounds like. There's there's so like it, and and yeah, like anytime I see them, I'm just like get it out, of here. <laughs> like go, like you know, you don't because it, it's it's useless and it slows down your storytelling. Like you know, I, the other one that this is sort of like a jump off from that, but I. <sighs> I get a little bit annoyed when I'm looking at stuff that has, I love, I love rooms that have sounds in them that like help a listener orient. Cause like, that's, I mean, that's sort of like, a, a, that's, it's basically the same thing, but it's just, if you're in a location where there's a sound in that location that can tell a listener what that location is without actually having to say it, then you don't have to do that. And you can just focus on the scene and like getting what you need to like happen. And so often it's just like, 
someone's in their living room. <laughs> like there's, it's the dead room zone or like, you know, just something really general. And it's like, no, like give me like juicy, gritty, like locations that you can feel so that it's, you can just like sink into that space and then like focus on the story. That's one fun thing that I, I like about it too. Like, like I had a scene set in a supermarket and at first I was like, how am I going to make this interesting? But then it's like all the things and sounds you take for granted when you're in these yeah. spaces. And I think it goes for so many places, but it really, it's, yeah, it's fun to sort of like dig into it and be like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's like a lot of like very specific stuff going on here. Yeah. It was challenging for, for us to think beyond the spaces we were used to and coming from production, like TV and film production, it's like, oh, we can't go to a, like a racetrack. Like, that's so crazy. And it's like, wait, why not? That's the perfect place because you have an announcer saying what's going on the entire yeah, time. Yes. That's like natural place for like a high stakes scene to happen where you you don't have to you know watch what's happening. So that's where we like put, for example, a high stakes scene for one of our characters was the racetrack because you have inherently and naturally someone in there telling you what the hell is happening. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, we did a brain list of places, mm-hmm. just environments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes when we just knew we had a character that ha- like, we needed the character to come out and say this crazy thing, instead of just having it at home, we would just look at the brainstorm list and be like, I mean, I guess we could do it at a spa while they're doing like getting like a weird sounding massage. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, okay. I have fun because I think adding those complications really helps set the tone and the environment, but also comedically, if, if you're going into comedy or having, or, or it's a comedy piece, it, it it will sort of open up some funny beats you didn't know were going to be there that aren't just jokes because jokes get kind of, t- that's one of the things I notice. It's like when it's, when, when you're looking at comedy podcasts, they think that comedy just comes from the jokes and it gets like really heavy and it just doesn't sound natural. Yeah. So I think that's one way. And then, you know, this a little different, but with within the same idea of making things feel funny or in the moment and having it not be just explained in set a punchline. But I think I found that letting actors improvise within their character and their bumblingness and their awkwardness ended up being funnier than a lot of the jokes I wrote because the jokes just felt too too to written versus like, oh, this person totally messed up the word. And then just the character would have messed up the word too. So it just feels like a natural place of comedy versus the scripted. That helps with like natural dialogue too. If you're doing like more grounded stuff where you just need people to sound a little bit more like in their voices and in their bodies. And like, sometimes it's not, those aren't even the takes that you end up using. But like, once you have somebody like riff over something a little bit and then like have them come back to the script, like, it's it's I I found that to be a really helpful way to like get actors to sort of just like sink into the because I, I have to say like yeah like it's sometimes I listen to sure <laughs> I sent you something I was working on like a long time ago and you're like is that person a theater actor <laughs> and I was like yeah, I sorry hear it. no it, it was a great piece of feedback because I was like I was like yeah like they're really like not like it's like the the, the delivery like because it was a very like sort of quiet thing and and they were absolutely giving it to the back of the house and it's, it's such a you really just want like it's sometimes you just it's hard to get people to sink into audio and I think it's so important because they're like right in your ears yeah, uh, we're yeah. literally whispering in people's ears right now. Yeah, hello. <laughs> I think too, just going back to exposition, I think, you know, like we have a device of a producer on the show because it's a, a, an interview show. So anytime we need to clarify things, we, we have a sort of character that we sort of rely on. Obviously, there's a danger of overusing that, which, you know, there's always a balance and a iterative. But I think if you can figure out a device or something like that, that can be super helpful. Oh, I was also thinking of, I had another example, and I don't remember it, but uh, yeah, I don't remember it now. I do, we can come back if it if it comes to you, Andrew, but I do want to take a moment to talk about Joa, Joanna and your, your work on your non-scripted podcast. You have a 
conversation show that's very personality driven and very successful. And a lot of people start these podcasts where it's like, me and my best friend have the best, my Nana and Poppy say this all the time. They're like, you should make a podcast or a movie about us because we have the best conversations. And I'm like, they might be interesting to you, but they're, are they interesting to, to listeners? And I think you have pulled that off. And so can you speak a little bit about the origins of that show and how you and your co-hosts have developed the, the rapport of your, of your podcast? Yeah. So my podcast, I think, was born out of more of necessity for me than of what the audience was asking for. And I think that is probably, in my opinion, the number one gut litmus test is, is this this something you want to spend hours of your week doing? Mm -hmm. Not because you think an audience is going to like it, but because it's going to come naturally to you and it's going to feel natural to you to talk about. And I also think it helps to be specific. So we were very specific in what our podcast was. We wanted to talk about a hyphenated experience, what it was like being me, Venezuelan American and all the other things. And then my co-host is Cuban American. And we wanted to interview people that lived within these hyphens. And I think having it and grounding it in specificity, it reminds me of how Jack White talks about how he goes about creating an album. Not that my podcast is anywhere near the genius of anything he's made, but he says that when, before he crafts an album, he like specifies like three, only three instruments. There's only three colors for the album art. And that specification helps him be creative. And I feel the same way with podcasts. I think just create a small reality and you can then branch out and, and you know, have a universal experience and, and interview people or have conversations that don't necessarily lie within that small spectrum that your specific podcast is about, but it helps guide stuff. And then I forgot some of your other questions. You had another really good question within there. That's such a great framework, though, for thinking about it. And I think it's something that applies to any any project that you're taking on, whether it's a conversation show or something that is scripted or something that is for the screen, because it lets you it's a it's a framework that breeds creativity in in its own way. Yeah. And I think people believe it's almost what happened to me with stand up is sort of what I see happening in a podcast, which is people think that stand ups just go up there and talk. Right. And like, there's nothing more incorrect than that. <laughs> People that do that are, you know, your friend Connor in college who got booed off the stage the one time he did an open yeah. mic. So, you know, podcasts like, yes, there's for my show, there's episodes where we we go off and we have conversations that aren't as planned, but we go in with a plan. There's not one episode we don't go in with a plan because the moment you don't have a plan, you don't have a plan B. So even if it's a conversational show, a conversation-based show, have beats in your mind that you think and, and, and points you want to make. And I think that crafts, that one saves your editor because I, I mean, honestly, you can't have your editor going through four hours of footage or, I mean, if you want to pay for that, great. But if you don't, you know, be your own producer and as you're talking, also be your own editor. I think it's very helpful. Now, as we wrap up here, I have two questions and we'll go in the round like we did originally. The first is, what have you learned in audio storytelling that you will then take to things for the screen, stories for the screen? And the second is, where do you see or hope the audio space will be going? And we'll start with you, Andrew. Take your time to absorb it. Oh, sure. Yeah, no. I learned from audio. That's a great question. I think, well, Mike, first, just going back to, I think what I said earlier about playing with sound and sort of thinking about sound in, in more specific ways, I, I think that's something I'm much more aware now in my, in my like TV and film stuff. I also think that having a certain, you know, we were talking a lot about exposition and, and also Marcus, you're mentioning like, you know, sort of relying on the audience to understand what's going on. And I think like, I think they're maybe because we are sort of in these formative podcast days, but I think there's a lot of fear that people are going to be lost. But I know the stuff that I'm the most drawn to, the stuff that I love to listen to, is the stuff where they don't hold your hand as much. Like I, I think about the Alan, the Alan Partridge podcast. I don't know if you all listen to that, but it's just him talking. 
it's hilarious, obviously, because it, it's the character is hilarious. And I think that's another lesson is like character is a character is a character in whatever format and medium. But it's just like there's one episode where he just goes rambling across like the goes countryside. The, and but it's hilarious. You don't even know really what's happening because you understand it through all cues and what you're hearing and his reactions and his response. And at no point it's trying to be like, and I just fell down a culvert, like he'll tell you in so many words, you know? So I think like, yeah, I think just really sort of, yeah, it reinforces things that you sort of already know as a writer, which is trust your audience is going to understand things and, and, and use all the tools in your toolbox, audio being one that I think we often miss, forget about. And where do I see podcasts going? To the moon, baby. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. No, I do think, I do think, like I said, there's a tremendous opportunity to reach so many different people and interests. And I think that's, I think that I don't see that not stopping and and expanding, whether it's people self-producing, whether it's larger companies feeling, feeling like they can take bigger risks on things that maybe aren't going to find a platform or a voice in in more traditional media. Yeah. I don't think there's any reason to think that's going to stop. All right. Is it my turn in this you're up next. Russian roulette of opinions. <laughs> well, okay. So I think what I've learned that I've taken to screen is the how specific I needed to make my characters in order to differentiate them for the audience. And how, since you couldn't rely on visual, how much of it was not just performance, but just every minute detail of how this person would talk or engage or or how they would pick up the phone. How And I think that's helped me in thinking about character so much more deeply and specifically on, on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then where I think the podcasting space is heading to, I think I'm going to just reiterate something that someone in this conversation said that like it really stuck with me, but I just, I truly can't wait until we get a, and I think there have been podcasts like this, but I want more of these, but a, a podcast that just works as a podcast, it is, it is, cra- the story is crafted and created. And I th- if that's the norm, the stories are crafted and created just for the audio and not because it's a great way to pilot an idea with a lower, mm-hmm. with, with, with less money and less budget, just have it be that that's what you're striving for. I think that's where greatness comes from and continues to come from. Mm. I love that. Protect the podcasts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think something that I've, I've learned from, from working in podcasts that I sort of like take over to my film work, which is like primarily composing is there's just, I think you have to be really, really economical with your choices in audio in a way that I sort of like traditionally haven't been in, in film. And I think it's, it's just like, you have like less time to grab people in audio because it's so easy to just turn on another podcast. Like it's really easy to turn on another TV show, but it's even easier to turn on a podcast and there are so many of them. So you know, I think I've just like, like in the last like year, like I've had did the themes for a bunch of shows and like they, they had to be so short and so punchy and just like fun and like, just like grab the listener in such a, such a quick way to just like, let, let them know what the show is and then get them into it. Because like, you know, I, and, and I, and I think that that is like something that like, I would, I would love to see more of my work in film sort of have on is this being economical with like how I'm like, sort of getting a point across, like across the point that I'm trying to get. And that's, that's a, like a continuing struggle. That's, yeah. And then like, in terms of like where I think podcasts could go, you know, I feel like I've been like reading like everywhere that like the, the dumb money phase of podcasting is over. And like, I think there's a lot of really shitty, bad things that come along with that. Like, so many people that I have worked with in the past have been like laid off in the past year. And like that completely yeah. sucks and it, and it shouldn't have happened that way. Like it, it's like, feels like these were like preventable problems that just like sort of come of, you know, people getting into the space who don't really understand it and just like throwing around money and then being disappointed when they're like, it's not being returned as quickly as they wanted to. 
But I do think that sort of like from a health perspective of, of the industry that like people throwing your, like, it's obviously like we want people to throw around money, but I do think that like more modest sums being thrown around is actually a really good thing for the health of the industry because mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, I think Andrew said it like at the beginning of the conversation, but like <laughs> there's less money on the table than like there's people are going to look a little less hard at like what they're actually putting their money behind. And that means that folks are going to be able to, to experiment a little bit more and like figure out how to make podcasts that like make sense in a budget that you'll actually be able to like make back and maybe even make a profit from ad sales from. And like, I think that's really cool. And I think, you know, sort of like jumping off Joanna's point about like Jack White, that is, that that's not like kind of, you know, limitations, like being the mother of creation. Like there, if there are some limitations on what we're doing, we have to figure out how to get past them. Then there is like a real chance to really like innovate and come up with like better ways to like make and tell podcast stories. So I think there's, there's some very like exciting sort of like depressing currently, but like maybe like in a year or two, once the dust settles, that we'll be in a sort of like healthier and like, more creative space, hopefully. Knock on wood. (laughs) Thank you for that silver lining because it has been tough and I have not had more friends laid off than the last couple, the last year ever. No, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, thank you all for for joining and we will post your Instagrams and where people can follow your work in our article. And thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much to Joanna, Marcus, and Andrew for joining us for this conversation. I want to underline my biggest takeaway from today's talk, and that is limitations are great for creativity. So whether you're Jack White creating your own constraints or an emerging storyteller looking to dip your toe into podcasts or film, limitations can be a superpower. Embrace them. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. You can like, rate, and subscribe to the No Film School podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Do you have a question you want answered on the podcast? Shoot us an email, podcast at nofilmschool.com. You can also follow No Film School across social media at No Film School and learn more about filmmaking, storytelling, podcasts, you name it, at nofilmschool.com.